Hey everyone, welcome to the Significant Strike Podcast. This is your host, Soft Weekly. Um, I had some technical difficulties this week, so our intro got kind of cut off. We will post our results from last week's show in the show notes, and then we'll pick up with Val starting off on the first fight of the night. Sorry about the inconvenience, but I fucked up. No other excuse. Fucked up. My fault. All right. Thanks a lot. And here we go with the show. All right. So we're starting off with uh, Francisco Figueredo, Figgy Lesser, I'll refer to him as, uh, versus Malcolm Gordon. Um, this is the flyweight division, the the lowest level of the flyweight division, you could say. So Figgy Lesser is 1-0 and in the UFC, but he fought one of the worst fighters on the roster, who we actually saw in action on last Saturday against Zagas Zumagulov. He got submitted in the first round, and it's Jerome Rivera, and he's just uh, not good. He, he is, as far as the roster goes, he's one of the worst fighters on the roster, top to bottom, male or female. And that, that's, a, it's a really, it was a really sloppy fight, and I, when I saw that, that was my first time seeing, uh, Figgy Lesser, and I was like, whoa, how is this guy Davison Figueredo's brother? That, <laughs> it, it was a shock to me. Um, but he, so, Figgy Lesser is tall and lanky, uses a lot of kicks, he likes to tie, duck in and tie up opponents on the body lock, and, uh, he'll use inside and outside leaps from there to get the takedown. And that that's probably his most effective thing, is getting the body lock, tripping, takedown. As far as striking, though, people... I mean, you would assume that he's a great striker because of his brother, but he's definitely not. His brother is one of the most intense and just throwing bombs, punchers out there. Um, Francisco does not have that power or intensity at all. Like It's hard to believe they're related based on their skills. He has some of the same tendencies as his brother, the way he holds his hands low around his chest and uh, keeps his feet flat, for instance, although holding his hands low got him in trouble, even against such a terrible striker as Jerome Rivera. Um, and the way he sets up his body shots, throwing the hook to the right while he moves left, uh, he, he needs to do more of that. that. That's like the one punch he threw, strike he threw in general that impressed me. But he has none of the strength or that, you know, Spirit to go to war, the deuce de guerra spirit. Uh, there isn't much to take away from his fight with Rivera other than this guy isn't that good and he shouldn't be a minus 300, 320 favorite against anybody in that anybody in the UFC, even if you fought Rivera again. Um, it's just so sloppy, like, especially for the lower weight classes where you usually see more technique and, you know, you'd, I'd right. expect that from some heavyweights, but these guys are 125 pounds. When Rivera got down in the, on the scorecards in the third round, he finally started going forward with intensity and hitting Figgy, who he refused to bring his hands up and he got hit, like even wobbled by this guy with no power, really, really, like worse striking than Francisco. Uh, I mean, Francisco is usually good at retreating out of range, but when this guy decided to say, okay, I'll, I have to bite down and go for it, he, he was able to just keep going and hit Figgy, um, wobble him slightly a, a few times, uh, make just really make him uncomfortable and win that third round in a fight he was down 2-0. Figgy doesn't, he doesn't have much in just in the way of striking technique. 
Really? He'll, he's, he's long and likes to use, you know, front kicks and high kicks just because he's so long for, for this flyweight division, especially in his legs. I don't think he even has a reach advantage against Malcolm Gordon, but he definitely has a, a, a leg reach advantage. Uh, so I'll expect to see a lot of that, but I, I don't think, especially with how Gordon's biggest weakness is, which I'll get to, I don't think he's going to be able to be super effective striking. And maybe he can touch him up to a decision. I mean, any, it's possible for sure, because he is probably still the better striker than Gordon. But I don't think he'll be, really be able to get Gordon in trouble. Um, yeah, um, and Gordon well, being a, a jujitsu fighter, just all about the submissions. Right. They have three um, UFC fights between the two of them. And yeah. Gor- Gordon only has four KOs total, you know, so yeah. you're not going to be looking um, for him to be a striking guy. Yeah, G- Gordon, he he was the TKO championship, the champion, the first flyweight champion for TKO. That's a, a Canadian promotion. Um, and he just, he, he submitted everyone he faced there pretty early on, although the level of competition is obviously much different. Um, Gordon went from that to being 0-2 in the UFC he is now. Uh, with two first round finish losses, but those losses are against Sumuderji and Amir Albazi, who are the 14th and 15th ranked flyweights in the UFC. And I'm the flyweight division isn't the deepest, but th- these are talented guys, especially Sumuderji. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of big on both of them, and I really I do like Albazi. I think he's good. Yeah, and, I mean Albazi was really impressive on that fight, especially because he took it on a short notice. But let me uh, get, get on to the grappling uh, for Figueredo. I said before how he likes to duck in to under punches and step into the clinch and then get the takedown with inside or outside reaps, though his top pressure when he is on top is nothing special. I mean, a guy like Rivera, who is also a jiu-jitsu specialist, though not near as good as Gordon, was able to get out of his top pressure, even though uh, Francisco didn't take the risk, really, of posturing up and raining down punches because he, I, I assume he felt that if he was to posture up, uh, Rivera would be able to get feet on hips, push off, and get back to his feet. And even then, he's with with uh, Francisco pressuring uh, just on the top flat, you know, not posturing up at all. He was still able to sweep um, and do some damage with elbows from his back. Um, then he was also entirely unable to pass, even when the opportunity presented itself. Clearly, when he was standing over uh, Rivera's guard, he couldn't. Man- he didn't manage to push the legs off to the side and fall into side control. Uh, his top game is really bad. I, I-, I-, I have to say, um, and that'll get him in trouble against Gordon, because Gordon, like I said, is a jujitsu guy. He's a- he got- he won his black belt, or he-, he was given his black belt after winning the TKO cha- flyweight championship. Um, with one of his submissions, he's very skilled off his back and on top with submissions. He is, he's great at transitioning on the ground, rolling with, uh, rolling with guys, you know, guy tries to roll to his back to get up. He'll flow seamlessly with him. He's also, he's willing to pull guard to get the fight to the ground, but not in just, oh, I'm going to flop on my back, Brian Hall type of way, uh, in a way well, uh, I'll get you into the clinch, then pull guard and force you to fall down on top of me and then work from there. And he'll set up sweeps from there because, and and if that's how he has to get the fight to the ground because he's wants the gra- to be on the ground so bad that he'll do that. And it's been effective. He, he won, he defended a flyweight title like that after being hurt on the feet. 
he was able to pull guard, uh, set up a sweep, get on top, and uh, submit the guy. He His best submissions are shoulder locks. He has three Kimuras and two arm bars in his career, and you don't see many Kimuras these days. No, um, no. Kimuras, yeah, you don't. Um, but he has three of them. There, He has six total submissions, three Kimuras, two arm bars, and uh, a triangle choke. Kimura um, is used nowadays for a uh, for position. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you don't. Yeah, you don't see finishes by them too much anymore. Um, in his last fight against Amir Albazi, Albazi dominated him in wrestling for two minutes before subbing him. Which Amir is a very good smothering wrestler, though. So, Malcolm Gordon doesn't have like world beater jujitsu, of course, but it, I think it is good enough to possibly sub Figgy Lesser if the opportunity presents itself, um, which I think it will be because Figgy's not that good in top control and he likes to take the fight to the ground. Um, and Gordon also has has ways to take the fight to the ground. He will also usually get the fight to the ground through the clinch using trips or, like I said, pulling just pulling his opponent into his guard. Um, his real weakness, though, is striking. He takes a lot of damage by guys who throw with heat you know um he he's just too hittable and reckless initially like he looks like he wants to go with his hands even against guys who are are better strikers than him he's potentially chinny i mean he's been not he was knocked out by muderji but muderji's a powerful striker for for the flyweight division which figgy is not um i never thought i'd be saying that oh figgy's not a powerful striker um <laughs> but yeah he he can't, he's not good at countering pressure he just puts up his Muay Thai high guard, but it's not. It's pretty static and not very effective. Guys can go around the edges. He really has to get this fight to the ground. So there is, even without the power, Figgy definitely has a chance to uh, get a, a stoppage by knockout. I don't think he's going to be submitting um, Malcolm Gordon, but and Figgy can also, if the fight doesn't go to the ground, win a decision. But the odds here are around plus 260 for Malcolm Gordon and minus 320. I want to say, um, minus three hundred, minus three thirty-five, around that range for Francisco Figueredo. So I'm going for half a unit on this underdog play, Malcolm Gordon at plus two sixty-three, which you can get on Sportbet, um, other on Betways two sixty, Bet Online, and most places it's two fifty to two forty. But if you have Sportbet, you can get it at plus two sixty-three. So that's the play we're going with, half a unit on the money line. I like that bet. Um, I really do. And I just want to mention before we move on that Amir Albazi is also going to be on the early prelims on this card. So Wait, it, what? Yeah. Yeah, they got him listed right here. Er, He's fighting Ode uh, Osborne. Oh, oh no. Uh, um, he That bout got canceled. Oh, did it? Yeah, you might want to refresh. All right, well... Then he won't be on the card. I wanted people huh. to see him fight because I think he's got some. Yeah, talent. it's it's. Huh. I thought it had been rescheduled, but apparently not. No, but yeah, that that Albazi withdrew that from that fight. Um, I'm not sure why, but that was just announced the other, uh, recently. All right, I, I um, do I do like to play on Gordon though. All right, where what are we gonna? Yeah. Um, let me just tell people that this card is not packed full. It's it's following a week of great fights, so. This isn't going to be one with tons of stuff to look at, but there are a few fights here. Where are we going to go next, Val? 
Um, just real quick, Taha versus Morozov. I don't have a play here. Just wanted to give a quick overview. Taha is a good finisher. I mean, he is a powerful guy for a bantamweight, but he is weak to wrestling. He has been wrestled in a lot in his career, even though he himself is a wrestler. Um, Sergey Morozov has an extremely strong strength of schedule, even being new to the UFC. He fought a lot of good guys over in uh, KSW, I believe it was. And he is a very strong offensive wrestler, but he d- definitely is at a striking disadvantage here against Halid Taha. Um, Morozov has been finished a few times, which is mildly worrying because Taha does have that power. Um, and he... And he, Altaha also has a chin. He impressed me a lot in a losing effort versus Hyony Barcelos, who I'm, I'm really high on, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast before. Um, but it's just a matter, one of those. If, if, if it's a wrestling fight, Morozov wins. If it's striking, Taha wins. Um, so I think, I, I don't think there's that much value here with Taha at minus 145 and Morozov coming back around plus 138, 135. Yeah. And just, where you get it. just to comment on what you're saying or to add a period to it, depending on which line you look on that fight, uh, the money's moving in both directions. So everyone is up in arms about this. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's a few fights here on this card that are like that. Um, like, the odds are all over the place. I want to particularly look at D-Rod versus Preston Parsons, um, which this is a short notice one for Parsons after Abu Bakr and Nurmagomedov pulled out, um, got injured or something, um, which that was a fight I was really looking forward to, honestly, and I was going to bet D-Rod in that fight. But anyway, so D-Rod is on bet online, minus 335, Parsons plus 275. But if you go over to DraftKings, D-Rod is minus 250. So if you have DraftKings and bet online, you can bet both sides. You can bet D-Rod and Preston Parsons and make guaranteed money unless there's a draw, in which case you break even. It's it, it's an interesting situation. I love it. Reminds when we, me of uh, I last week it. where I, I forgot to actually recap this earlier because I posted on Twitter about a line error on uh, mybookie.ag. They had... Uh, 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 Condit versus Griffin at plus 150 when it was minus 180 in, in reality, like everywhere else. Uh, so I, I put out saying unofficially, I'll, I'll do, I'm gonna do two units on, on this goes the distance because it was plus money and, and that hit. Um, this is a similar type of situation, I feel like, although it's not a line error on one book, just the lines are so spread out across different books right. that you can get guaranteed money if you have DraftKings and bet online. Well, I, I do love it because we try and pick winners here and give people the best advice. But if there's if there's times where we can go, hey, do this and it's guaranteed money or pretty much guaranteed money, I like it. So that's yeah. something if, if people want to come out ahead, there's a bet for you or two bets you'll have to make. But there they are yeah. right there. I mean, I'm, I don't I was considering making that official. I. I just wasn't sure. I've never come across this type of thing before, really. I mean, you can get closing value and and hedge your, yourself and, and get guaranteed win, but this is different than that. They're at the same time. Like, the line hasn't moved on one book to get a better line. It's just that's what the line is. It's it's bizarre. But um, I'll, I'll mull that over and maybe tweet it out. Yeah, it's the... Uh the players that use certain books, you know what I mean? Because the books address yeah. to where the money's going. And now that there are so many online Hello? books, if you look around, you can find those anomalies more often than you ever could have before. 
Yeah, um, that's why we used. I mean, we used to use Best Fight Odds, but now we use FightOdds.io because Best Fight Odds took off most of the best books with the best values. Um, I think they have a deal with one of the one sports book, and they don't want the competitors getting in there. Um, but anyways, on to this next fight, which is um, Amanda Lemos versus Montserrat uh, Conejo Ruiz. Montserrat Ruiz, you may remember her from her fight against Cheyenne Boys, where she just, in every round, she used the the meme of WMMA, the head and arm throw, um, and then just had her in a scarf hold for 15 whole minutes. Like, that's no joke. 15 minutes in a scarf hold. Cheyenne Boys could do nothing about it. But that's her her game is relatively limited um, to that, that type of thing. She, the fight before that, in fact, in Invicta, she had a key lock from a scarf hold. So she she really loves her head and arm throw, you'll see. Um, but it'll be hard to do that against Lemosh. Lemosh is like a 6-1 to one favorite. She's she is an intense an intense woman, an intense striker. She she reminds me of Menon Fioro, just the way that she's able to... That intensity, I've talked about this before, that intensity isn't something you often see in the women's divisions. I mean, you see it with Wei Li and Andraj, uh, then uh, Amanda Nunez, of course, Holly Holm, and these girls. But a lot of their your mid-tier fighters in the women's divisions don't aren't able to throw with that intensity and power. They, they It's more of a slow-feeling-out thing if you think of girls like Angela Hill, who... who they're good strikers, don't get me wrong, but they don't have that intensity that you'll see. They don't go forward throwing with with crazy power and intensity. Um, but Amanda Limosh does that. She Her last fight, she got a knockout. Um, it's listed as power jab to ground and pound. It was a round one knockout against Lavinia. Uh, and that, that was really impressive. I mean, she's 34, but I could call her a prospect because she she's uh, only in, coming on to her fifth UFC fight. And um, in her first UFC fight, she was fighting at bantamweight against Leslie Smith, who has fought even up at featherweight. So she lost that fight, but has won each of her three fights since, and she looks like a legitimate potential contender, even at 34 years of age. She's she's just a really good striker. Um, but the line is too steep. You could potentially bet um, inside the distance for Lemosh, but I'm staying away. The odds aren't where I want them to be. Uh, it's just too yeah, steep it's my too steep. It's a five twenty, five hundred, five fifty, five fifty six, yeah. even a six hundred at some places. It's it's way too steep to get in on. But if if you see a play on there for inside the distance or something else, you'll throw that up on the Twitter later, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. All right, uh, moving wait, ahead. Wait, 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 wait. Um, I'm going to switch computers before we go on right here, all right? Hold on. It'll only take all a second. Right. All right, say something. Test. All right, cool. You were kind of cutting up on the other one. It won't matter because uh, I'm going to have your audio, but it was hard for me to listen to. All right, just carry on with the next fight. We're good. All right. So... On to the, the main card here, I believe. Yeah. yeah, the first fight of the main card, Billy Quarantillo versus Gabriel Benitez. This is Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. 
It, I like that because it's Mowgli like, like the Jungle Book, but it's spelled M O G G L Y. So I don't know. I've always liked that. <laughs> but Mowgli, Mowgli has fought some of the the best guys, at least on his level, in at 145. He's fought uh, Andre Feely, Sadiq Youssef, um, guys like that. Uh, even Clay Collard in Clay Collard's UFC run, which was not good for him, but he has a win over Clay oh. Collard. Um, fought Omar Morales, Enrique Barzola. His last fight, he beat Justin James by knockout in round one. Um, and he's a, he's a fun fighter. He's southpaw, so he likes to use that left body kick, and it's really powerful. His kicks are brutal. Um, and Quarantillo is an orthodox fighter, so that will be there. Quarantillo uh, is more... is not the same... As power fighter as Benitez, but he is a he has a good cardio, good conditioning, and he will go three rounds with at a high pace the whole time. Um, and you see that in their striking stats. Billy Q has sixty four percent striking offense, landing seven strikes per minute, but only forty two percent defense, which is concerning. That, that's some of the highest striking offense in the whole UFC, but some of the lowest defense. Um, Whereas with Benitez, you see a 38% striking offense with a much lower volume, 4.38 strikes per minute, but a 70% defense, which is good for the third best striking defense percentage-wise in the UFC, um, absorbing 3.26 strikes per minute. So it shows what Billy Q is going to come out and do. He's going to go forward and try to just win with with volume. But Mowgli has that power to come back at him uh, and hit him hard. And... So Billy Q only has uh, four fights. He's three and one in those fights. His lost lone loss to Gavin Tucker. That's not a bad loss at all. His wins against so-so competition. Um, whereas Mowgli, like I said, has fought some really, really good guys. His only losses are to guys who have good winning records in the UFC. Right. Um. So, yeah, Benitez has lost by being pressured with that volume before. Um, and when someone does that, they can take away that, that left body kick that he loves. But he also does have the power to put Billy Q out, and he's fought at a higher level of competition. I, I think the odds are about right on this one. I just wanted it, – it's a fun – it's one of the, the few fun ones on this card. So I just wanted to talk about that real quick. Oh, yeah, and we have another situation like with D-Rod versus Parsons. On DraftKings, Billy Q is plus one sixty five. On Sportbet, he's uh, Gabriel Benitez minus one fifty two, and other books five times minus one fifty five. So I I I don't know if this is just an issue with DraftKings having their underdogs uh, too high up. You can see several a couple fights on this card. DraftKings has the highest odds for underdogs plus one thirty five on on Morozov when the rest of the books have it at like plus one twenty. Um. Oh. I I don't know what they're doing over there, but if you can bet that you can you can get literally free money unless there's a draw in which you don't lose but anything. So free gonna, money basically. We're gonna have to keep our eye on that because I've been noticing about DraftKings, and as as I mean people who bet though like the books, uh, they shift their odds based on the money coming in, so they still come out ahead. So maybe it's the players on DraftKings that are. Maybe. Turning it that way, yeah, yeah. you know, but that's something we Who need knows? to watch because I've noticed it as well. Well, let's look. Let's look at the Billy Q line movement on DraftKings or the uh, 
Yeah. Uh, let's see where. Yeah, no, it doesn't appear to have moves at all. It's just it just says one sixty. Yeah, he's one sixty five across. Benitez two ten across. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, and the, Benitez comes back. The highest he comes back at anywhere else is minus one eighty. Yeah, uh, I, with around a plus one forty three on the flip side for Quarantio. Yeah, everywhere else has Billy Q at like uh plus one thirty five, and DraftKings has him at one sixty five. That's fucking yeah, nuts. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> but uh, I, I, there's no real capping involved in that, so I guess we'll move on. Um, <laughs> up next, uh, I'll talk about Vieira versus Stoltzus real quick. Uh, Adolfo Vieira is a black belt and ADCC world champion. I like um, him. I'm just he, gonna say that. He and Nogi, I believe. He, but he infamously lost last time out by gassing after round one because he is massive. He's light heavyweight size, but he can't take the strikes that light heavyweights are going to throw at him because he has literally no striking as a BJJ specialist. Um, so he cuts a lot of weight to make 185. And so yeah, he gassed after not being able to submit Fluffy in round one, Fluffy Hernandez, who's a purple belt, and he was submitted by, by Fluffy. It was, it was like, it shook up the world. He was, uh, Fluffy came back at like pl- over plus three hundred. Uh, his submission line was like over plus three thousand, just insane. But yeah, he has like I said, he has no striking, but he can take down pretty much everyone at middleweight if he can get close to them without being hit hard. Some people are saying there's value on Stoltzfus, but I don't really see it. I mean, I, I don't want to put my eggs in the basket of Vieira, but I do think he wins. Um, Stoltzfus is just is not nearly as good as Fluffy. Not, not that Fluffy is amazing, but Stoltzfus is a lower, much lower level fighter. Um, and I could definitely see uh, Vieira winning by submission in the first or second round, most likely, is is the way he goes about it. You could p- play it Vieira by submission, minus 105, uh, or Vieira round one submission, plus 200. But, and then maybe hedge that with Stoltzfus money line, plus 180, but uh, I'm just passing. Um but that that's an interesting one. We'll see if Vieira can can bounce back from that that yeah. pretty much pretty embarrassing loss. I mean, it was the first time an ADCC champion had been submitted in the UFC since like 2005 or something. Uh, just insane, really. Yeah, that's why I think he will bounce back because I'm kind of high on him. Like you said, he has no striking, but he's he he's one of those guys. Um, we talk about everyone having BJJ black belts now, you know, or whatever, but uh, he's an exceptionally high-level grappler. Yeah. He, like, for those that don't know, ADCC, along with Mundials, is the most, like, prestigious uh, uh, jiu-jitsu competition in the world. So, yeah, being a champion there is insane. And he is, he's so big that he has – that he's so much bigger – at middleweight and helps to take people down. His top pressure is insane. He usually just steps over into mountain arm triangles. Everyone, uh, so we'll see if I, I think there's a good chance he does that here. But on to the next one, which this is like the fight of it, this or Quarantillo versus Mowgli are the fight of the night for me. If I had to predict the fight of the night, um, or at least I'm most looking forward to this one. It could be a mildly boring wrestling affair. But I really am really high on Mateusz Gamrot. Uh, Matuj, sorry. Matuj Gamrot. And he's fighting Jeremy Stevens here, who is... The bully. Has a... Yeah, the bully. Has the unfortunate record of the most losses in UFC history. Last time out, pushed a guy. Pushed uh, Drakkar Klos. 
at the uh, weigh-ins. Juan Close was dehydrated, ca- gave him whiplash, causing a concussion, and forcing him to draw, uh, forcing the fight to be canceled. And then Stevens takes that and is like, "Yeah, I won. He's a pussy." <laughs> um, but anyway, Matuj Gamrot, he's a southpaw, but he will switch stance for certain things like jabbing. Uh, he, he has a really good jab, but it's harder to jab in a open stance matchup. He fought and lost a close-ish fight uh, in his debut against Guram Kutatiladze. Um, and Guram is another one I'm really high on, who incidentally was supposed to be on this card, but was forced to withdraw with injury. Um, Gamrot, if he can't consistently get takedowns, or if he's, his takedowns are stuffed, he likes to chain wrestle, so that can gas you out. And he doesn't have like amazing cardio, but rewatching the Kutataladze fight, which where Kutataladze got back up from his takedowns or stuffed them for the most part. There's only two takedowns that Gamrot was able to keep Kutataladze down for more than like 10 seconds. If he's forced to fight at that high pace and have his chain wrestling stuffed, um, he can slow down late and, you know, not totally gassed, but not near be nearly as fresh and he'll be in danger there against a powerful striker like Stevens. But he has still gone the distance and won five rounders in KSW. He was the KSW lightweight champion with uh four title wins, undefeated before coming to the UFC, and only losing a split decision in the UFC in that fight against Guram. Uh but yeah, like I said, he's a great jabber. He uses his jab well to set up takedowns by jabbing to the head or even double jabbing to put the opponent on the back foot and then changing levels. Um, he was dropped by Guram to start round two in their fight, but that was a more well-timed strike than anything, which all credit to Guram, but it was more of a flash knockdown. Um, Gamrot was off balance throwing a kick and Guram just hit him right on the button at the right time, but Gamrot, when Guram went in to try to finish him, Gamrot went ducked in on his knees, um, went under his knees, or right, went under his hips as Guram like jumped over him almost and forcing Guram to abandon offense and they reset. He didn't look phased or really hurt by it, but it was a knockdown. Um, something to watch out for because Jeremy Stevens' path to victory is through knockdowns, as I'll get to later. Gamrot has improved a lot, I think, in the short time since moving to ATT. He says his cardio is much better. He's added new techniques to his arsenal, such as faking knee picks to come over the top with power right hands. He's improved his usage of the jab from what it was before, uh, using it for to set up a lot things a lot better, which we saw in his last fight against Scott Holtzman, a knockout win. He's throwing his power right hand much, much crisper than previously, which we also saw versus Holtzman. He landed it a few times before... He uh, KO'd Scott Holtzman with a perfect one-two punch. That was a just, great fight. Picture perfect, yeah, and it, it really showed what Gamrod is capable of. Um, what's interesting to note is that his odds are dropping in each of these successive fights. First fight versus Guram, who is the best fighter he's faced, minus 400-ish. Last fight, minus 250-ish versus Holtzman, who... I don't know if he's better than Stevens, but he is... A natural lightweight while Stevens is a felt a featherweight and now so now versus Stevens he's coming around minus 205 minus 220 at most yeah um, but you can get him at, at like minus 205 I think Holtzman is a better fighter at this weight class especially at this point in Stevens career you know what I mean Holtzman isn't bad he's he's a decent fighter 
Yeah, um, he's a, the middle of the pack. A young Jeremy Stevens probably would be the better fighter, but at this point in his yeah, career, I'm sure. I think. yeah. Um, but the where where Gamrot really shines is his wrestling. He loves to dive in on low ankle picks and has a lot of success with them. Despite taking down Guram in that fight with them, like I said, he was never able to hold Guram down. Guram consistently used the momentum of the takedown in his own extremely long legs, which Guram is huge for the weight division. He could be a welterweight. He's shredded and tall and long, just an insane physical specimen at lightweight. Anyway, he used his long legs to elevate Gamera off him consistently. Um, though, because of his back hitting the mat in the end of that fight, Kutataladze incorrectly, I believe, said that he should have lost in the post-fight interview to DC because he said, this guy wrestled me, this guy take me down, I no deserve this fight, this is his fight, he said. But um, he's less experienced in MMA. I, uh, with He has like over 400 wrestling um, and kickboxing bouts combined. Damage, or Sambo in wrestling bouts, sorry. He uh, damages above takedowns, especially when you can't hold on to the takedowns. So I do believe Guram won that fight. Uh by winning uh, two rounds to one. But it was, it still showed that uh, even when Gamrot wasn't able to consistently hold his opponent down, he was still able to take someone down as high level of a wrestler and master of sport uh, as, as Guram Kutsutaladze, and Kutsutaladze gave him a lot of credit for what he did. Uh, it, but that, it was just a, such a high level fight. Guram off his back. Guram's defensive wrestling is insane and not something I anticipate Jeremy Stevens being able to do. Um, Gamrot is such a good wrestler. Stevens has a 65% takedown rate. Uh, and I'll get to more stats about Stevens and why he's not as good when he gets taken down. Um, Gamrot also has good reactive takedowns, which he's, uh, developed more recently. Um, as I said before, he's an expert chain wrestler, uh, and he'll just be relentless. So he's great at scrambles and gaining the best position and dragging his opponent back down to the mat. He utilizes trips really well from the clinch. Um, um, he move, he likes to move laterally to get his opponent, you know, chasing him, following him around the ring instead of cutting the cage and then set them up for either counter striking or that, that, uh, ankle pick or reactive takedown. It, he's been really successful with that. Showcased that a lot against Holtzman, though Guram didn't fall for it. Uh, anyway, I, I'm on to Jeremy Stevens. He has 18 UFC knockdowns, but only 7 UFC knockouts in 33 fights. So I think his knockout power is both over and underrated, which is interesting to say, but I'll, I'll tell you why. He's So he is 10-2 and two in the UFC when he gets a knockdown. Um... The only losses were to Melvin Guillard and Frank Edgar, uh, the champion, former champion. But he's 5-12 and 12 in the UFC when he doesn't get a knockdown. And even worse, he's 4-11 and 11 when his opponents take him down. Yeah. Like, Jeremy Stevens has, does have some good wins on his resume for sure. He has, he knocked out RDA, but it was a very young RDA. So that's a good win, but also it could be an overrated win. He beat Henan Barrow, who at one point was the, the best bantamweight ever, but that was after USADA when Barrow couldn't juice anymore and Barrow was fighting him at featherweight instead of bantamweight. So he had a big advantage there. Um, he, he, he knocked down Frankie Edgar, but he couldn't get the win. Uh, so he doesn't have necessarily one punch knockout power, 
but he does have flash not he does have knockdown power for sure and when he gets knocked down like i said he's 10 and 2 and that's his path to victory even if he can't get the knockout he he can knock you down and especially in his younger days he was a more nuanced striker not super nuanced at all by any means but he wasn't just duck his head and throw bombs striker he he had an educated jab uh and good one twos especially in his younger days he's even more of a brawler now than he used to be perhaps though but he still does uh love to duck his head and swing for the fences with no regard for his own safety when when it starts becoming a war i mean when it's calm on the feet he'll he'll set up his shots but when it starts becoming a war he he ducks and swings for the fences like uh, i mean like guys like justin gaethje used to do um which makes him a fun fighter and that's why a lot of guys like him that's why dana likes him and keeps him around and even defends him, even bails him out of jail after, I think it was a domestic violence case. Dana bailed him out of jail so he yeah. could fight the next day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, he's always pressing the issue going forward, trying to make his opponent, you know, fight him, go to war with him, kill or be killed. But he doesn't cut cage enough to be totally successful with that. He follows, which could be a problem against Gamrot with those reactive takedowns and his lateral movement. Um, one thing I do like from Stevens is he uses half steps continuously to move into the pocket, move forward into the pocket, but not fully commit, dry out counters from his opponents, though it would be helped even more, uh, if he would faint more, which he doesn't, um, despite a a lack of nuance in a higher degree, if he would even just faint that jab, faint the straight right, use shoulder feints, use leg feints, uh, hip feints. He, he would be able to draw out counters even better when he comes in with that half step. Um, but as it stands, most opponents know what he's trying to do and won't, won't oblige him unless they are really confident in their striking, such as Jose Aldo. When Jose Aldo lost his belt, his first three-round fight in the UFC was against uh, Stevens, and he Stevens clipped him, and Jose Aldo was like, all right, you want to go to war? I'll go to war, and went toe-to-toe with him in the pocket and knocked Stevens out in, in the first round. Um... But yeah, so most of his opponents, when if they're going to strike with him, they are counter-striking with him as he is the aggressor, unless they are, are the same level of warrior as he is. Uh, like he's fought guys like Cater recently, and Jose Aldo, um, Zabit he also fought, and Zabit beat him with counter-striking, but Zabit is, is a great striker as well. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, Yair, he, 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 he fought to a decision loss versus Yair. Um, that was a... a fairly a war so what what jeremy does do well is play the lead hand game hand fighting uh and then jabbing or throwing the lead hook around the hand fight to set up his power shots In a minute. He, he throws he throws big hooks towards the body um which is good he throws powerful outside leg hooks which is also good he he destroyed gilbert melendez with those um just tore up his leg melendez fought through it to a decision but there was a few times where the ref could have stopped it as Melinda's just dropped from leg kicks. As far as wrestling, Jeremy Stevens, like he, I said, he has a 65% takedown rate. It's not good. Um, in, most recently, the only person who took him down was Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Uh, he took Jeremy down well, especially in the second round. Uh, Jeremy got back up a few times, but Zabit used chain wrestling and was relentless. He kept dragging him back down to the mat, back down to the mat until eventually he was able to get on Jeremy's back as Jeremy gave his back to try to get up. 
um, and then passed a full mount and uh, may have gotten a stoppage if he had more time left in the round. He was uh, he was really unable to stop. I mean, he wasn't he was mounted, but he was still unable to stop round and pound uh, from from Zabit. Although he was able to avoid you know being finished, but Zabit is just tough here in his wrestling, his great ground and pound. Um, there's no shame in it, but Gamrot is a similar level of wrestler, maybe even a higher level of wrestler than Zabit. As uh, he, uh, it's hard to say, different weight classes, different styles, uh, different body types, but it, it wasn't a good sign. Um, Frankie Edgar also uh, took him down. What was it? Five times on like eight attempts. Let's see, five of fourteen. So. He he's able to defend a good amount of takedowns, but he still was wrestled to a unanimous decision, even d- though he knocked Frankie down. Um, and and that's the theme. I mean, he's been taken down and beaten by Oliveira, been taken down uh, by Cowboy Cerrone back when he fought at lightweight, which he's just returning to now. He's been taken down by Max Holloway, who's not really a wrestler, by Hinato Moicano, and he lost all of these fights. So. I really think that in this fight, uh, Jeremy Stevens is going to get wrestled. His his main chance is a knockout shot or a knockdown shot to at least win a round. Um, he can technically win rounds off of just leg kicks and, and uh, forward pressure, but I don't think, uh, or I know really, that Gamrot isn't going to be like, oh yeah, if this guy's throwing bombs at me and destroying my legs, I'll just stand with him. No, Gamrot's going to want to take him down. He's an incredible wrestler. I forgot to mention that Gamrot has competed at ADDC as well. He he was unfortunate though to fight uh, Gary Tonin in in the first round on day one. <laughs> um, Tonin's a legend, uh, a, a great, uh, just one of the highest level uh, jiu-jitsu artists in the world, and he was submitted. Although we went nine minutes with him, but Gamrot has a good amount of submissions on his resume. So aside from being a wrestler, he also has uh, great grappling. He has guillotines, heel hooks, uh, multiple heel hooks, uh, key locks. He and he he participates in in, in grappling uh, with some frequency. So on this one, there's a couple ways to play it. I think it, it's tough because you could play it with going okay. Stevens has to win by knockout, probably. Maybe you could hedge and bet Gamrot money line. You could just bet Gamrot money line in general. I do think there's value there at minus two hundred eight. Um, you could also play Gamrot by decision, which I think his finishing ability, although good, he has about fifty fifty finishes to to decisions. Um, and but more decisions as his career has gone on, and he's fought at a higher level against uh, you know guys who are challenging for the KSW title against UFC fighters like Guram. So I think his finishing ability is overrated, and I think plus two hundred for Gamrot by decision is 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 definitely value. But there's another bet I like more; it's one of my favorites. Um, I've done it a lot in these type of matchups where the line is a bit too wide for me to want to confidently bet it. So I'm going here with Mateusz Gamrot minus three point five point spread, fat minus one twenty five. Um, minus 3.5, you win basically if he, if it's a finish or a dominant decision. Uh, if it's 29-28 across the board, he loses because 
the difference, the point difference right, the adds spread. up to only three, not to three, not to four. But if he wins 29, 28, 29, 28, and 30, 27, the bet hits. Um, and I like this one. I think he's going to be able to wrestle Jeremy Stevens in, in every, every round. Uh, Jeremy Stevens, he, he can stop some takedowns, but the relentless chain wrestling of Gamrot is going to be too much for him, I believe. So yeah, 1.5 units on this one. I see, um, I see you covered it very well. I see most of this fight, um, the same way you do. And I'll preface it by saying, uh, Jerry, St- Jeremy Stevens is another one of the MMA guys that I've inter- interviewed a couple of times. And oh, I like him. He, he's a cool dude, but he's past his prime. And I, I see, some of what you said, like I see him uh, lowering his head and swinging for the fences, and I see Gamrot getting ankle picks on him and putting him on his butt. And I'm very high on Gamrot. You know, I like Stevens as a person. You know, I've talked to him a couple of times, 20 minutes each time or whatever. It's not like we're best friends or anything. But I like him as a guy, but I, I'm pretty high on Gamrot. So I, yeah. I agree with all your analysis Gamrot is definitely one of these guys that's unranked that has the potential to be ranked alongside guys like Fiziev, Magomed Mustafaev, um, Gram Kutsutaladze. The, these, there's a lot of unranked killers at lightweight. And I think with this win, he should get, uh, you know, a ranked fight next or at least a fight that would get him to uh, a ranked fight. Um, he's 30. If he was younger, I would say he's a future champion, honestly, but, he he stayed in KSW for you know seventeen fights into his career. Um, he could still be a future champion. I'm not saying he couldn't, but thirty puts him only two years younger than Dustin Poirier. So it's not like he's going to take over the division after guys like Poirier, Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, right. Conor McGregor age out. That, um, yeah. That's more for guy right. for for younger that's, guys. That's kind of late to start making your run in a stacked class. Yeah. But it, it, it's still possible. I, I think he will be ranked um, and, you know, can even break into that top 10. But it's, it is a stacked division, as you said. One thing I forgot to note is that Stevens' uh, knockdown power did, at least last time when he was at lightweight, lightweights were a lot smaller back then. Um, he, his knockdown power did carry over. He only had a slightly lower knockdown rate at uh, lightweight than he did in his featherweight career. Um, just on the note, but he is still going up weight class here, and that'll help uh, Gamrot even more um, in the wrestling department, just being able to hold him down. Stevens, oh, he has decent get-ups, you know, when the when it's still a scramble. If he is put flat on his back and controlled, it'll be hard for him to get back up, I think. And, yeah, Gamrot can finish this by... He can... Stevens has only been submitted once in his career, but it's possible that Gamrot can submit him. It's possible that Gamrot can, can uh, knock him out, either or TKO him on the ground, Although I think decision is the most likely one, and I, w- if you are at a book that doesn't have the minus three point five point spread, I would probably recommend value at you know half a unit, three quarters of a unit on that plus two hundred decision prop. All right. So on to the next, we have Misha Cupcake Tate versus Marion Renew. Um, this is Misha Tate's return fight, and in a fitting uh, dichotomy. Marion Renault's retirement fight um, in a co-main event uh, slot here. It's not the greatest co-main event, but the Misha Tate, you know, she she was one of their OGs of w- women's uh, MMA in the UFC. Which is she was in the second uh, UFC title fight for women 
is MMA ever. Right, which is the only reason this is a co-main event fight. Yeah. And the problem with Misha is she's been out since 2016. Um, after losing her title bout uh, against Amanda Nunez, she fought and lost a decision to Raquel Pennington. And then she was gone. She was over in one, not fighting in one, doing some promotional stuff, some commentating, pres- uh, supposedly training at Evolve, but clearly not actually training at Evolve because she didn't even know some of her teammates like that were fighting. She's like, oh, who's that? And they're like, that, that's your teammate. Um, so she, her, her, the shape she will be in is questionable. Her motivation is even questionable. What, like, why is she doing this? Is she doing this for a title run? Is she doing this because she needs a paycheck? I, I mean, that's not a bad reason, but I don't know if she's just phoning it in. It's hard to know. Uh, but that's just why I want to talk about it. There's not much to talk about stylistically here because we haven't seen her for uh, almost five years. Um <clears throat> She has some good, great wins on her resume, of course. Liz Carmouche, uh, Holly Holm, uh, Jessica I, it's a decent win. Sarah McMahon. Um, and her losses are only to Ronda, twice. Kat Zingano, Amanda Nunez, and Raquel Pennington. Um, so at her prime, of course, she's better than Mario and Reneo, especially now that Reneo is 44 years old and is on a four-fight losing streak. But that makes her sound worse than she is. That four-fight losing streak is Kat Zingano, all decisions, by the way. Kat Zingano, Yana Kunitskaya, Raquel Pennington, and Macy Kiasson. Yeah. Who Kiasson is fighting up at, uh, fighting Aspen Ladd, who's what, the number three contender right now? Um, and, and she, Renee took a, uh, took a round on her, even though she's like 10, 12 years older than Kiasson. That, that's one thing I wanted to cover. I'm glad you did is she's on a four fight lose streak, but it's all to names we know and they were all decisions. You know, she was in yeah. there all three rounds. Yeah. And she she has some good wins on her resume too. Jessica Andrade back in 2015 when Andrade was undersized, but she was still powerful and, and still still a good fighter at bantamweight. Um, Sarah McMahon 2018 uh, draw with Betchkahea. Uh, Renee was never amazing, but she she's and I don't want to say legend, but she's tenured. She's very well tenured, and the UFC likes her, or they wouldn't have kept her around this long. Um, and it is, I think it's a fitting way for her to go out, going out against Misha Tate in a co-main event. I'm happy for her. Um, she, Reneo comes back at plus 120, and if you want to play, have some action on this fight, you can play that, or, wow, it's up to plus 125 now. I, I figured the money would come in on Misha as she's more popular, but you just can't, you can't bet on Misha. She's been out for five years. You, there's, there's no conceivable way you can bet on Misha here if you, if you're gonna be smart with your money. Um, you could also bet Renault by decision at plus 215, but again, we don't know what shape Misha's in, so she could be in really, really bad shape, and Renault could submit her or finish her, even though she's not a finisher, uh, by any means. She has, what? Actually, yeah, no, she, yeah. I mean, she hasn't won for a while, but when she won, she was getting, uh, submissions and ground and pound victories. Yeah, only one of her nine wins are by decision, the rest are either yeah. submission or KO. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't even realize that. Um, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not playing that. Just uh, a thought that if you really want to pl- have some action, Reneo at plus money is is a good bet, or a, a, an okay bet. You know, a better bet than uh, Misha at minus money because you can't. Like I said four times, you can't bet Misha. You just can't. Well, spo- so, spoiler alert: this might be somebody's dog of the week. <laughs> yeah. So. This is Tiago Moises coming in around what 
plus 540 is the line move. Yeah, yeah 540, 540 still on FanDuel. Plus 450 on most places, but yeah, FanDuel has it up there at 540. Islam Makachev comes back at minus 700 most places, but you can get him at minus 578 on Sportbet. Um, but he goes as high up as minus 11, 11, uh, 1,111. No, 1,111 on Sportsbet, which is different than Sportbet, trust me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's justified though. Islam, people think, oh, he's not nearly as good as Khabib, which we haven't seen proof that he is as good as Khabib yet. But they think that just because he lost to Adriano Martins, he got knocked out. That can happen to anybody. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into Khabib's undefeated record, fighting lesser competition for much of his career, which Islam fought much better competition. You know, he almost everyone he fought had a winning record. You know, by the time he was in his fourth UFC fight, or fourth pro fight, he was fighting undefeated guys. Uh, by his ninth fight, he was fighting veterans that are 25 and 8. Um, and then in his 12th fight, he was in the UFC, which Khabib didn't get into the UFC until his, like, 17th fight. Yeah. Um... It, but he so Islam is a much better striker than Khabib, but he doesn't have Khabib's iron chin. You know, if Islam got hit with that infamous combo that Geechee hit Khabib with, or the uh, Michael Johnson combo, Islam would probably be dropped, and he was against Adriano Martins. But then he came back, and now he's on a seven-fight win streak against some underrated guys: Chris Wade, Nick Lentz, Glayson Tebow. Um, that was a knockout, like a flush knockout in round one. Then he armbarred Cajun Johnson. Then a decision win over Armin Sarukian in one of the funnest grappling uh, wrestling fights you'll ever see in the UFC. Um, a decision win over Davi Ramos, an ADCC medalist. And then last time out on UFC 259, the main card of the Adesanya versus Blahovich card, he submitted Drew Dober in an arm triangle choke, which it was an impressive performance in his dominance. But it, what, Drew Dober isn't a great wrestler. I mean, he has wrestling credentials in college, but he's not a great defensive wrestler and is, has almost no jiu-jitsu like his teammate Justin Gaethje. But what is impressive is that Islam finished the fight with an arm triangle from half guard, uh, which if you know anything about you know submissions, you know that you, should, you, you, you generally have to be in mount or side control. For, for an arm triangle choke. So it was impressive that he's able to finish that from half guard. His squeeze is just that tight uh, that he forced you over to tap. Is, uh, Islam really could be the next Khabib. We just haven't seen enough proof of it yet because, you know, the best fighter he's fought is probably Armin Sarukian. Uh, the best stylistic fighter he's fought is Armin Sarukian. Judober could be better than Sarukian, but as for Islam, that was an easy stylistic matchup. Um, meanwhile, Thiago Moises... He has come a long way in his striking. Um, and there was a point with, where he was getting beaten up by Michael Johnson. Uh, current Michael Johnson, not back then. Michael Johnson, who was a threat to anybody. Um, but And he had to just dive in and get an ankle lock, you know, desperately because Michael Johnson was tuning him up. He fought Bobby Green and arguably lost that fight. Um, but Bobby Green... Thought he had two rounds on the bank, so he coasted the third round and allowed Thiago Moises to win that decision. Um, which I, I do think Moises won that fight, but it's not the best look when you win because a guy decides to coast and when a lot of people disagree with the decision. And then last fight was what he really impressed me with against Alexander Hernandez, who's famous for knocking out Benil Daryush, although it was in a, a, a dirtbag way with the fake glove touch. He still has pretty good striking, and Moises didn't have to go to his jiu-jitsu which is his main thing usually 
he he just struck outstruck Hernandez in a decision win, and that that showed to me that his he's come a long way at fighting over at uh, ATT in a long long way in his striking. But I I don't think he really has the skill off his back to be that live for a submission or something against Islam. He doesn't have the one punch knockout power. Uh, I mean anything can happen, of course, especially when you're uh, plus six hundred underdog almost. You, it, there's you can say, oh yeah, I might as well throw a dart at that board. But in this case, I, I don't think that, that the value is there. I think that Islam will win this comfortably. I think if you want to look for a value, you might want to look to Islam inside the distance. Um, because, and I'm going to pull up a numbers MMA stat, because if you bet, if you place a bet on Islam inside the distance in each of his nine UFC fights, you would have a, a 24.6 ROI rate of increase. You'd be up $221 betting $100 each time because he's plus odds because he has a lot of decisions. But like last time against Drew Dober, he was plus 400 for a submission. And, and and that was way too much against a guy with terrible submission defense. So books are not, are not correctly valuing Islam's finishing capability, especially with his uh, improved striking. Uh, improved relative to Khabib, that is. Yeah. He, but he's not, he's not the sit, like, Khabib was, would drown guys in, and beat the hell out of them in top control with ground and pound. Islam is more of a finesse guy on the ground. He's not as big and, and strong as Khabib, first of all, but also he, he, he's more of a slither in there, use jujitsu or, or Sambo, but, you know, it, it looks similar to Jiu-Jitsu at, at this level. Um, use his grappling, let's say, to get in there and, and pull an arm bar or a triangle choke, rear naked choke. Those those are his uh, most common submissions. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Islam Inside the Distance could be live, but it's only, like, plus 150 here, so I'll be passing because there is... Moises is credentialed on the ground, um... He's never been stopped. He has three losses, um, two of them being to Ismagulov and Daryush, who are, Daryush obviously is number three in the world. Ismagulov is one of those other lightweight contenders, talents that could be a contender. Um, is, Ismagulov's like 22 and one, I think. He has only one loss in his career. He, he's really good. And, uh, Moises lost the decision to him. So I, I think Islam does win. Um, but I don't think there's enough value on this inside the distance for me to play it the way it is right now. No, I, I agree with you. Islam is going to win this fight, but uh, the yeah. the you, money's you, just you, too you, far apart for me. Yeah, I mean, if like I, I think you you are going to have to play a prop, of course. I mean, even the minus three point five prop I love is minus five hundred five to one. Oh, so yeah. that's, that's not playable. Like, I played Leon Edwards minus 2.5 for minus 300, but I won't go beyond that. And even that, I wasn't super happy with. Um, but, I mean, if you're betting Islam, you have to bet him pretty much a prop. Islam by decision at minus one, or plus 115 you can get. That's not bad. Um, or inside the distance at plus 145. Also not bad, but you have to choose one, and I'm not going to choose one. So... To round out this card, uh, we just have those two, those two plays. Which uh, one point five? You, yeah. Well, I was gonna say which from the start we said this one best card. So, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I do see value here. I like 
that Gamrot is almost even money, minus 125 on the, uh, the, the, the point spread, and Malcolm Gordon is plus 260 money line. I like the plays we have, even if there's only two of them. So 1.5, or, well, it's time for our segment. Yeah, well, this will be the fun part, not our official plays. But um, if you got to pick five, pick five. You yeah. want to go first with the don't be a pussy parlay? Yeah, or should we do... Or, okay, or yeah, you want to do walking the dog first? Oh, walking the dog. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. Malcolm Gordon, it's official. We, we already have that. So Malcolm Gordon. I mean, I think there are a lot of chances for dog value on this card, but they're not where I want them to be. You know, Morozov, Quarantillo. If Quarantillo was still like plus 180, plus 200 almost, I, I would consider that. Um, some people like Stoltzus. I don't. Mario Reneu, um and then, and then, you know, plus 400 or better on Ruiz and Thiago Moises. So some people do like the dog value here, but only officially going with that one walking the dog, Malcolm Gordon. All right, and I'm going to go with Marianne Reneu on this. I think uh, nice. for, uh, for all the reasons you said, uh, Misha Tate's been out of the game too long, and Reneu's fights that she's lost has all been to, her last four fights have all been to names. And she looks in phenomenal shape, even though she's 44 years old. Oh, yeah. I just... She's ripped. Right. And I think I think it's her fight. Unless Misha Tate has done something we don't know about, and like you said, she's coming back to try and make another title run. Yeah. Which I don't... If she's taking this seriously, she could win. But. Right, which I don't think is the case. I think it's a money grab. Yeah. So that's, I, that's yeah, my dog. I, I agree. Um, how old is Misha? Yeah, so Misha's 34. She's still 10 years younger than Renee, right. but she, she, she left in her prime. It doesn't, it doesn't indicate, at 29, she left in her prime. It doesn't indicate hunger to make another title run, um, coming back five years after her prime. No. And, and I've seen some clips of her sparring and she doesn't, she doesn't look, I mean, no one would look the same as she used to, but she doesn't look great. I'll say that. Though it's just sparring, take it with a grain of salt. That's just my two cents yeah. in the clips of her sparring I saw. I kind of feel like this is the same way. Um, the NFL is uh, the biggest one, but any kind of pro sport, you don't take five years off of doing it, you know, and come back. No. You just lose it, you know. You, you may yeah. be better than the average Joe, but if you're not competing at that high level for all that time, you've lost a step, you've missed a thing or whatever, you know, you just don't do it. You see guys that yeah. uh, take a take a year out, out of the NFL because of contract negotiations, they don't come back right. You know, you got to... Lay on Bell. Yeah, exactly. You got to compete at this high level all the time, and that's why I think uh, yeah. Renee used the good bet for the dog so that this isn't an NFL podcast, but I do have to say that's interesting because we had a lot of guys opt out last year from, of the NFL from COVID. So it'll be interesting to see how well they do, how well they conditioned themselves when they weren't with their team. Right. Um, which just as it will be with Misha Tate. Yep, I agree. All right, then here you go. And I'm still working on a- one sec, one sec. I got a one sec. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm back. Here's our favorite segment, and I just want to say because uh, I plugged our show on their shows, but um, 
I was on Who Are These Podcasts this week, and uh, Carl has a jingles department, and Jen from the jingles department is going to do us a song for the Don't Be a Pussy Parlay. So soon we'll. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, so soon we'll have a musical set, a uh, musical opening for this segment. But here it is: the "Don't Be a Pussy" parlay. Even though we only suggested money on two fights tonight, now we're each going to pick five that you should consider betting. What do you got, Val? All right. Um, there's so much juice here, but I'm going to go with Islam and Amanda Limos to start. Limos to start. Then Matuj Gamrot, um, uh, Daniel Rodriguez. That's that makes four, and Miles Johns. All right, I like it. I'm gonna go with Islam and Gamrot as well, and D Rod as well, and uh, Limas as well, and I'm gonna throw. By um, my walking the dog, Renee, you in there. All right. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I like that you threw. I, 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 um, <laughs> is it don't be a pussy parlay, but I'm too much of one to throw a dog in there most times. I try and always throw my dog in. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. All right. Well, there you go for this week. Um, we had a yeah. Well, we had a super exciting card last week, and uh, and we have one next week too. Right. So this is just uh, the take a breath. But I'll tell you what, I would rather have this than uh, no fights like we did a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. It was, it was good. Yeah. Show. Good show. All right, everyone. Uh, Check us out on the Spofi HQ uh, network where you can find all kinds of sports handicapping podcasts. Um, yeah, and so check, yeah, at Spofi HQ on Twitter and us at Six Strike Pod on Twitter as well. Uh, created a YouTube channel and you can either search up Significant Strike or just go to the go to the Twitter. There's a link there. I posted the video. I mean, about Wonder Boys counter striking there last week. Um, and I, I was I was for a first attempt. I was I was happy with how it came out. And we'll we'll have links to all that in the show notes. 